In a world where busyness is worn like a badge of honor, it's almost impossible to imagine breaking free from the shackles of success. Working long hours, skipping meals, missing or being late to important life events, constantly playing catch up, exhausted to the bones. This has been normalized, especially in the medical and healthcare arena. Practice owners are fleeing to corporate practices or leaving medicine altogether in hopes of recapturing their time and energy. But you are here for a reason and you've been searching for answers. Welcome to Thriving Practice. I'm your host, Tracy Cherpesky. I'm an executive coaching consultant and time leadership expert. I'm mom to two amazing teenagers and a menagerie of adopted furry family members. I am on a mission to help practice owners take back at least one day per week for the rest of their careers so they can focus on healing their patients and falling back in love with their practice. Together we learn, connect with like-minded practice owners and medical business experts, and expand your connection to an international community of peers. In each episode, we discuss the business of medicine and healthcare, how to avoid the pitfalls of success, and how to improve the bottom line, paving the way to exquisite fulfillment in your career and life. Join us each week to learn how you can grow your practice while focusing on what you love most. You'll want to take notes. So let's go. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today for a new episode of Thriving Practice, the business podcast for medical and healthcare practices where we help provider owners grow their business and take back their time. In today's episode, which is part one of two, I'm speaking with the sharp and deeply knowledgeable Jeremy Pont of Phoenix Regen and Phoenix Regenerative Consultants in Lillisand, Norway. Jeremy shares his best tips and lessons learned on how complex and rewarding partnership can be and what he's longed to learn the way, some through some hard-won lessons. I loved how forthright Jeremy was about the practicalities of being in business partnership. For example, he strongly encourages writing everything down, getting crystal clear about all the possible contingencies and running everything, running the gamut from managing staff to how side hustles are perceived to larger decisions that might require input from all invested parties and partners. I also loved how Jeremy gushed about the complementary skills and knowledge that's on the table in his balanced partnership with his business partner, David Wilson who's practiced as a general practitioner for 10 years and branched into regenerative medicine in the last four or so. In their four years of being in business together, they've grown and expanded their knowledge, which in turn supports their patients in their own healing journeys. In this first part of our interview, Jeremy spoke in depth about the benefits of regenerative medicine and how this can help people increase their functionality, even if they continue to live with a certain or nominal amount of pain. The journey to partnership, coming back to the business piece, the journey to partnership and being in partnership is likely not for the faint of heart. But in hearing Jeremy talk about working with David, I definitely hear from him that his partnership has by far been a positive. The professional growth, expansion of knowledge, and locking arms with another provider who was tired of seeing his own patients run out of non-pharmaceutical options, in other words, being a little bit hamstrung by the pharmaceutical option only, it's just a really powerful combination to build a practice. So I love, just listen to how he gushes about how amazing this has been, even with all the bumps and bruises. 
And make sure to come back next week to hear more about regenerative medicine, how to piece together the right kind of education to expand your own practice into this modality if you like, and how to support your patients in healing and increasing their own functionality. So you know what to do. Grab a beverage or a snack and settle in to listen to Jeremy and his enlightening perspective. Jeremy, it is so great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, it's my pleasure. Well, you and I go way back and we could talk about that later. But before we dive in, tell us where you're located in the world. So I am located in uh, Lisan, Norway, uh, which literally translates to a small beach, which is in the southern half of Norway, about 300 kilometers in the northernmost tip of Denmark. Very nice. And it's beautiful there. I've seen photos. It, it, it is beautiful for the three days of the year that we don't have either rain or snow. So yeah, it's <laughs> I was just, <laughs> just, just going to say, except when it's freezing cold. <laughs> yes, it's, autumn is not the most fun time to live in Scandinavia. Uh, summer is just amazing. So for that three months of summer, and by three months, I mean three weeks in July, it's just, it's just gorgeous. And then we do have beautiful winters and so, you know, January. No one moves to Norway for the weather. Uh, <laughs> and you, obviously, your accent gives you away, but you are not originally from Norway. So you hail from Darwin, Australia, correct? Yes, exactly. I'm a Northern Territorian uh, that, um, funny enough, met my, my Norwegian wife mountain climbing in Argentina and um, was, uh, what I always say, was forcefully imported back to Norway, like the Vikings of old. They just hit me over the head and just brought me back and dragged you. And I was in Norway. Exactly. <laughs> Suddenly you woke up in Norway with a, exactly. a private practice and three children. <laughs> exactly. I did that. Yeah. How did that um, ever happen? What an adventure. Well, how cool. It I mean, that just been. speaks to, you know, what's possible when when we leave our comfort zone and we go traveling and and doing things. Who Who would have thought that you could go that far away from home, both of you, and end up falling in love. Yes, exactly right. No, it's one of those things that if anyone asks, how committed am I to my wife? It's like, well, I moved across the other side of the planet to the cold and the rain and learned another language. So I think that gives me a tick. And I normally that like, does give me a tick. Yeah, I think you might, you might be in it to win it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great. Well, you know, I would, you and I go back as we worked together several years ago when it was just Absolutely. you in your practice, but now you have a multidisciplinary clinic. So tell us about Phoenix and all of the things that you do there. And then we'll, we'll go from there. Okay. So, um, yeah, when I was first starting up my practice, it was just working with, with a coach because when you're a sole practitioner, uh, it's really hard. It's very easy, I mean, to get stuck working in the business and very hard to work on the business and sort of take that step back. And so in that time, I'm really taking from being a sole practitioner to really branching out, doing more than... Uh, so I've always been typically a very biomechanical-based chiropractor, working primarily with the spinal adjustments and then branching out to doing laser, non-surgical decompression, and then gradually over time, I just found there was enormous patients that were either had tissues that were too badly damaged to, to respond to conservative treatment 
and were not surgical candidates. And so I, over the last five years, six years now, is getting on, the pandemic seems to throw everything. I started looking for solutions for these patients. Uh, and first it came in the way of doing a pain specialization in the United States. Um, so that meant that I became more of an interventionist. So doing a lot more of steroid injections, whether that be nerve roots or in the joints, even, you know, knee arthritis, uh, cortisone injections. But the problem with that is that these techniques, they come with a lot of side effects and they also are getting really phased out. And, um, that's when I really started to see a lot more about regenerative medicine. And so that's when I branched out. So regenerative medicine is basically when you use the body's own natural healing tissues to repair damage. So we uh, use, I started off using PRP, which is basically a blood-based growth factor. So that's where you take all the healing factors out of blood, or all of them, most of them, uh, and you really compress them into a really concentrated form and then inject them directly into any tissues of damage. So things like tendonitis and even the arthritis, what it tends to do is be a stimulating injection, uh, which can really help to shock the body into repairing tissues that damage. Uh, and to do this, I, um, I had to team up with a doctor and I was really lucky that, that it just happened that there was an Irish doctor in my town. Funny enough, you know, an Irishman, Australian meeting. And who was also and been working as a general practitioner um, with a special interest in musculoskeletal medicine for the better part of 10 years as well. And basically noticed exactly the same, that um, there's this whole group of patients that uh, don't respond to, to conservative treatment and your GP, uh, his only intervention is basically tablets. And um, him being one that was one of these more sort of modern where well, let's not just listen to what the pharmaceutical company is telling me what, what are these drugs actually doing. He really wasn't happy with that. And then how we have uh, our health system in Norway is that basically we have no private health. We have everything done under the public system. And so that means there's long waiting lists. And if we would have people for knee prosthesis, for example, things are very basic as in and they do them well, but basically, if you've got knee arthritis and you're younger than 75, you're basically going to get told to take a paracetamol and, and wait for your 75 to get a knee prosthesis. So he was witnessing that all the time uh, in general practice and was looking for solutions. And it just happened to be that I was published in a local paper doing some patients with these regenerative techniques, and then we teamed up. And so from that teaming up over the next four years, we really branched out to doing a lot more stem cell based. So that's where we actually harvest and isolate stem cells out of uh, mostly fatty tissue and also bone marrow. And then that works as more of a transplant uh, procedure. So stem cells are incredibly powerful. And and we could talk about this forever, literally we teach about this forever, but basically they can do three things. They can become like cells. So if I inject these stem cells into, let's say, a damaged knee, they have the potential to become cartilaginous cells. So if that's required, they also have an immune modulating effect, which means that they can actually stop a lot of their biochemical pathways 
that have been leading to, to tissue damage. And they can also have an effect on residual cells there. So um, when you put in these new stem cells, they actually have the, they can basically communicate with these this, this dysfunction cells and get them to actually optimize and become more like a, like cells they should be. So it's incredibly powerful. And um, so we started off doing a lot of knees, a lot of peripheral joints, but my real expertise is spine. And so over the last three or four, four years, we've done a lot more, probably one of the leading clinics in Western Europe, at least, uh, on regenerative medicine and particularly regeneration in invertebral discs. And so that's sort of how we've progressed on. So we've added on to, um, so we've done more and more complex procedures. And so that's how we've really done over the last seven years, basically. Yeah, you've done a lot. So is this Irish doctor, is this a business partner or someone yes. who works? Okay. So, so we decided to do a business partnership because we really needed that complementary uh, where we're all in the same team and more that synergy because while he's particularly good with the pharmaceutical and the medical side uh, and also to do a um, basic surgical procedure, which the stem cell harvest is, um, we really needed him to be on board. But at the same time, the diagnostic skills and the interventional skills that I brought really complemented one another. So sort of one can't really do the without the other. And so we really went into a partnership. I love it. So when you were in a private practice, chiropractic practice mm-hmm. on your own, it was just you. At what point did you all join up? Like how many years ago? In uh, 2018. Okay, so, so that's, about four been, years. Almost yeah, we've been going about four years. Yeah. Amazing. So I think it might be useful for our listeners to hear what that is like because I think it's a huge decision obviously on paper it makes a lot of sense but it brings a whole other set of challenges so what is what has it been like to have made the decision to go into partnership as a business partnership and also as like complementary care I would say running a partnership is one of the most complex arrangements you can have because it can be incredibly rewarding, but incredibly frustrating. And I'm really lucky, like David, in lots of ways, we come from very similar backgrounds. We have very similar personalities, but it is very hard to preempt a lot of the problems that are going to arise that as a sole practitioner, you can just sort of fix straight away because, okay, this is this is the problem. You know, we've got to get A to B, right? This is the way we're doing it. Suddenly, when you've got a partnership, particularly when you're equal partnership, uh, equal partners, you've got to actually take a step back and say, like, what do you think? Oh, I think this or I think that. And it can be really hard. Like one thing I would say that we have a lot of uh, problems with is work-life balance. Because when you're doing a 50-50 partnership, and it does become complex to balance that work-life balance, particularly if one has a different outlook on work-life balance than the other. That can be really hard, you know, who takes more vacation, who's you know, there for longer hours. It, it is really complicated. Even 
who manages the team. So we have Mm -hmm. two other chiropractic associates. We have a personal assistant we share. We also have an office manager. It's really hard to, who is the boss? You know, who, who is the one that they, um, they go to or who is the one that makes final decisions? And how do we not become a little bit like mom and dad with the kids sort of running around? <laughs> and that does happen. Like I really can't say enough a lot of, you know, even today I had one of my staff that said to me, yeah, you know, and something that uh, I am the, the point guy on, you know, and this is when we started the morning and um, suddenly was coming in uh, 15 minutes late. And then when I sort of approached her about it, she, you know, what, what's happened? You can't change your work time without telling me. Suddenly she's like, oh no, but I, I talked to David about that. He said that was fine. And I said, yeah, but you, you need to talk to me. Yes, but I asked you and you said to me, you know, go talk to David. And I sort of, mm, when did you do that? Oh, you were right in the middle of doing a procedure. <laughs> and, um, and, but, and, but that, you, I know we laugh and that's exactly, so I literally use the analogy. It's like, so mum is, you know, working away, you know, over the stove and then, the, you know, kids are coming up, you know, pulling on the leg. Can we have ice cream? Can we have ice cream? Can we have ice cream? And she says, just go ask your father. And then they go and ask dad's like, yeah, mum said it was okay. That's really hard when you have a partnership. And it's because uh, even if you have sort of, you know, if you had an extra person on there, so there's three partners rather than just two, it adds a little bit to the dynamic. But yeah, having two is difficult. It's, you know, if it's not one, it's definitely got to be the other. And then um, it does create um, some challenging times. And not that you'd want to not find solutions, just sometimes it is very hard to find solutions both people agree on. And um, I would say putting things down on paper always is an absolute necessity. And I've done probably what everyone listening has done and thought, no, no, that's not necessary. We, we know we're going in the same direction. You know, there won't be any misunderstandings. All I can say is I too have been naive and it <laughs> does lead to problems down the line. Uh-huh. It's way better to be very clear and write down roles, responsibilities and expectations of one another when starting a multidisciplinary practice and when taking on uh, taking on business partners or clinic partners. Sage, sage advice. I think, you know, a piece of advice that I would give a client if they were looking at partnering is just that. Any possible thing that could come up, even if it seems little, get it, like sit down multiple times and get as many things out, maybe work with somebody else to do that. You know, either someone else who has the the experience of partnering and, you know, and then obviously all the legal stuff that you need to do. But like, there are so many things that can come up that seem so simple. But even, you know, something as simple as the order in which you, I don't know, you know, clean up a space and set up for the next procedure. Like it maybe seems like overkill, but that all could be written down, all of it. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think when you're going into partnership, particularly for the first time, that you sort of don't want to be the person, you know, saying, you know, doing this because you don't want them to think that you sort of mistrust them. Yeah. Um, But it's just about being clear. And that's the thing, sort of delving in exactly what you're saying, delving in every possible problem or outcome. 
so that if there is a sort of non-pass there, it's better to have that non-pass the beginning rather than, you know, four or five years down the track, you're like, oh, okay, well, this is a really big problem. How do we do things now? Yeah. Um, particularly the more things intertwined. So I think business part-wise that, but uh, professionally, it's been absolutely phenomenal. I think that having that synergetic when it comes to clinical experience is really taking both of our practices to the next level. Oh, for sure. I mean, I would I would go so far as to say, as my children would say, no shade intended, but you know, generally medical providers aren't business people. That's not always true, but even if one is great at business and is also a medical provider, how do you split that? How do you wear those hats <laughs> and, you know, still go home at the end of the day at a reasonable time for dinner with your family and things like that, right? So it's still, I think it's a huge challenge to do both. And I think any anybody who's brave enough to and dedicated enough to consider going into private practice as a medical, dental, or healthcare provider, you know, should be applauded and also definitely needs sufficient support. And that means everything like the admin side, the strategic side, your financial planning, all of it, you need to have good Mm -hmm. people. And, you know, you got to invest in that. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a provider of some of those services. I'm saying that because I've seen it happen. I've had clients come to me, you know, on the brink of shutting down because it's just too much. And I would imagine in a partnership, you can, you can kind of share that load a bit, but you're still, your first job is to be doctors. So I don't know. Yeah. And that exact thing in that, I think that there's, in one thing, it's a lovely when everything's hit the fan and you're like, oh God, how, what are we going to do here? (laughs) There's something very comforting knowing that someone's just been like, Misery loves company and it is nice to know that, okay, right. Well, at least, you know, he's got to try and put his head together. So yeah, I agree. But there is so many things you're not, uh, like you said, like you have different strengths and different um, weaknesses and managing a business rather than treating a patient is, is just a very much bigger challenge in my opinion, you know, and that's why I, you know, when my associates would come to me and say, you know, why, why do I make more money than they do? It's like, because I take all the risk and I do all the stuff that you never see. That is sort of the, the business side of healthcare. And, um, yeah, so I think from a, um, chiropractic point of view, it's just been, it's, I'm a completely different uh, chiropractor than I was five years ago. Like I have, much more well-developed and well-rounded um, experience. And, you know, this is the thing that is a little bit hilarious that I went from thinking, geez, my, my pharmaceutical knowledge or my, you know, my medical knowledge could be, you know, jacked up a little bit to then David constantly saying that I'm way better than any, any of his first year medical residents that he's had working under him. And at the wow. same time, my... David, when he first started his examination, his knowledge of musculoskeletal medicine, this is after working as a general practitioner for 10 years, was terrible. It was super basic. And that's because it's just a differing 
expertise, you know, sort of chiropractors and physiotherapists come out of university with a specialty, whereas general practice, well, medical doctors come out sort of with a general education. And so now when I look at him, it's actually, you know, I remember four years ago, if uh, he said, came into me and said, uh, you know, I've got a patient with an L5 disc, like, mm, do you? Let's have a check about it. Okay, Sonny. To now, <laughs> to now it's like, okay, yeah, no, good, good call. Good call. You know, like you're doing, you're doing good there. And you're, you're vice versa. It. Yeah, yeah, he's getting it. And at the same time, then there's sometimes it'd be like, mm, you know, I, um, I was about to do a, um, a lumbar injection, like, uh, L5. I think it was an L5 uh, selected block a couple of months. And, um, you know, as per law, sort of he, as the prescribing doctor, he needs to set eyes on the patient as he was coming in. He just happened to see underneath his patient's line and stuff. It just happened to see around her sort of flank, her side area, that there was this little rash. And I thought she just rubbed it because it just looked, you know, just looked red. But it was actually a, uh, it was actually a shingles rash just in a really atypical area. So that's why I didn't think of it. And he automatically was like, wait a second. Uh, don't look, don't look at that. And then of course, like, you know, luckily he sort of came in, stepped in and, uh, not that we could have killed the patient, but it's definitely not something one do is give steroids into a patient that has an active, active uh, shingles. viral infection. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it's, and it's funny. So it's still like, and, and that's the sort of complimentary go, but, um, like I said, the business stuff is tough. So I, I would really recommend it, but I would recommend also with the, because it does tend to be with the, your practical skills, you know, even with, uh, even with physicians that I, I work with and um, it, it, there seems to be a natural, you know, natural boundaries as I offer you, you're much better at that than I am, aren't you, you know? And so that works out. The business side of it, there aren't those natural boundaries. Mm. And uh, I think it's way, way better if you just have, you know, just distinct and defined roles from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that is um, spoken with the wisdom of someone who learned by <laughs> not doing the it. The hard way, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm saying everyone do that while I haven't done that. And yeah. even now we're literally going, yeah, we better write that down. You know, like right? do just write that down. Yeah. And, and another write thing. everything would, down, all of it. Right, and that's another thing that you've got to, with other sort of side ventures, that's the thing that's also very difficult I've found with business partners is if you sort of partnership in one business and you're using time in one business to work on other business ideas, where is where do the, the boundaries lie? Sort of what is communal business and what is side hustle business and how you split that up? That's something that's also something that needs to be discussed. Mm-hmm. And um and times where you don't think, you wouldn't even think that it was a, uh, a problem. Suddenly, if you look at it from your business partner's point of view, it's like, oh, I see your point there. Mm-hmm. So um, all these things are complicated. Yeah. Well, it sounds like even with sort of, you know, fumbles and learning opportunities, as we like to call our, you know, mistakes and, and uh, missteps, It sounds like things are going well. I hope you enjoyed part one of my interview with Jeremy. Make sure you come back next week to hear part two. 
If you've not subscribed yet, make sure you do so so you never miss an episode. And as always, if you're gaining value from listening to episodes like this one with Jeremy, please make sure that you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so more providers like you can find us. Your review helps spread the word about our incredible guests and the amazing knowledge they're sharing. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, 